For those who do not know me, I'm Mother Mary Bosco, and I'm very happy to speak to you tonight, especially about this great theme, and that is a model, St. Joseph. He is, next to Christ and our Blessed Mother, the most illustrious of models. He's the best of saints. To be successful in any skill, any endeavor, we look to an expert. And this saint is an expert in the acquisition of holiness. No one was closer to Jesus and Mary than St. Joseph. No one was more like Jesus and Mary than St. Joseph. When I was preparing conferences for the retreat, um, I had already decided to write on St. Joseph, that topic. In fact, you were the reason I chose St. Joseph. Months before, I was for myself reading, and I came upon some material, and I tagged it for for you, for a conference for men's retreat. And I did because, of course, St. Joseph is just such a perfect model for those who work, for husbands, for fathers, for single men. He is just a perfect example. And when I began then to write the conferences, I was a little concerned that I, if I could write many conferences on this topic. And in fact, I ended up having too much information about St. Joseph, and I read numerous books, and as I did, I, uh, I usually read the book and I make notations on a post-it, put the post-it on the front, so and then I go back afterwards to reread certain selections. Well, I was reading one book out of the 20 or 30 I was reading, and um, I looked back to pick it up again, and I looked at the title. And it said, Joseph the man. And I paused and thought, that is a striking title, Joseph the man. But after a while, when I closed the book again, I realized my post-it was covering part of the title. The title was Joseph the just man. But I liked the first one best, so I kept that those words in mind throughout preparing conferences. And I prayed to Joseph, the man. You're the man, Joseph. Help me with this retreat. I think that title encompasses so much because he was the man chosen from all eternity by God to be the father of Christ on earth. He was chosen from all eternity by God to be the husband of Mary and the protector of the Holy Family. And so to Joseph, to Joseph we can look for our model. Pope Pius IX in his encyclical on devotion to St. Joseph said this. He said, it is of high importance that the devotion to St. Joseph should engraft itself upon the daily practices of Catholics. We desire that the Christian people should be urged to it above all by our words and by our authority. Pope Pius IX then went on to explain in his encyclical that St. Joseph is a model 
for all states of life, for all ranks, and all types of people. He points out that fathers of families have St. Joseph for an example, for he was the foster father of Christ. He says that both the married and the single have him for a model. Because he said the married, because he is the spouse of Our Lady, single because his life was that of chastity. The point, uh, the Pope points out that St. Joseph is an example for all who work. He labored as a carpenter. He's an example for all who support themselves because he also did. He's an example of the rich because he was an heir to the throne of David. He was a kingly man. And also, he had care of the most priceless treasure, the infant Jesus. St. Joseph is an example for the poor. He lived a life of poverty. He's an example for those who have difficulties and crosses because he had trials to bear. When you hear, when you read and pray the litany of St. Joseph, you hear the different titles for St. Joseph, the invocations to him. And when you hear those, you can see that we can go to him for all assistance. He is an example for all of us. He is an example for every state in life, and he's an example of how to live our life, how to carry our crosses. There's a devotion which is called the Seven Joys and Sorrows of St. Joseph. I'm not going to do all seven with you tonight. I will give you a little bit of a break. So it's maybe long, but not seven sorrows and joys. So, But there is a beautiful prayer. It's a chaplet, um, not the chaplet of St. Joseph, but it's the chaplet of Seven Joys and Sorrows. This is now an advertisement because there, we have this in our gift shop here, a little booklet with the uh, beads to say this uh, beautiful prayer. Tonight, though, I do present to you a consideration about St. Joseph's sorrows. Like St. Joseph, we have in our journey of life trials, burdens, and sorrows. Inconveniences, discomfort, pain, burdens that you especially as men have to bear. We can look to St. Joseph to see how can we carry our crosses. How can we be patient? Carrying a cross, bearing with a difficulty calmly without complaint. That's what we can see when we look at the life of St. Joseph. He's referred to, one of his titles is, the mirror of patience. Meaning, his soul reflected the beauty and the strength of this virtue. Now, St. Thomas explains that patience is the virtue by which a man bears up against evils or perceived evils that tend to make him sad 
and break his spirit. So patience is the virtue that helps us to bear up with difficulties and to bear up with the things that tend to make us feel sad, bear up with the things that tend to break us. The virtue of patience is bearing up, carrying it. I think if we focused on this virtue in our daily life, we could acquire so much holiness because it involves everything in our day. Bearing with suffering throughout our day. Inconveniences, difficulties, losses, work, ever present in our life. We don't need to wait for huge, huge uh, incidents to grow holy. It is there in our daily life. You know, when we read the lives of the saints, sometimes the books, we read a big event and their extraordinary virtue. But sometimes they don't tell us of what came before that. They don't tell us, for instance, you take the North American martyrs. You read about how much they suffered during their martyrdom. But very rarely does the book tell you of all the things they suffered, bore with, all of the crosses they endured beforehand. And that that was pre-game warm-up. They had daily crosses, small ones, that they endured in their life before they entered religious life throughout their years of education, all the losses and sorrows, all the hard work. And that is why when it came time, when it came time to suffer great things, they were prepared. Because in their daily life, they had borne many little crosses with courage. Think about it for yourself. However present the opportunities are in your day. You get up in the morning. First thing, first thing in the morning, now nobody has to stand or say it out loud, but first thing in the morning, there's something. It might be the alarm ringing at 5.30. It might be uh, an aching head or arthritis. It might be just the overwhelming thought of going to work that day. Maybe the thought of all the traffic. Or a meeting you don't want to have. Or maybe it's the child shaking your bed and jumping on you. And then the rest of the day. Driving to work. Dealing with co-workers. uh, Coping with ailments. Dealing perhaps with loneliness. Or wishing you could be alone. Morning. Afternoon. Night. Little things abound. Little things that are opportunities to grow in virtue. St. Joseph's Day, there were little things he had to bear. He rose early in the morning to work. He ate from manual labor. His hands were calloused and blistered 
from hard work. He bore with fatigue. He aged. He dealt with villagers who demanded uh, work from him. He was the village carpenter. That meant customers. So for those of you who have customers, he understands that. You can be sure the general rule with customers, some came back to return something to him. Some perhaps complained or tried to get a cheaper price. And he had to bear patiently with that. He had also the sorrow, the sorrow, deep sorrow, knowing of the sufferings that our Blessed Mother and his divine son would have. Being knowledgeable of the prophecies of the Messiah, he knew what was to come, especially in the book of Isaiah. Uh, I I think it's chapter 53. In the book of Isaiah, it foretells so much concerning what the Messiah would suffer. It tells that he would be bruised from head to toe. It tells that he would be spat upon. It tells that uh, he would spill his blood, that he would be mocked, and he would be left alone. It foretells all of the sufferings of the Messiah. And St. Joseph knew that's his divine son. That's what his son would suffer. St. Joseph knew from the prophecy of Simeon in the temple at the presentation. St. Joseph heard the words pronounced to his wife. Your own soul, your own heart will be pierced, will be pierced with sorrow. He knew his wife would have all that to suffer, and he sorrowed. He had so many, so many sufferings. St. John Yude says that suffering, the thought of sorrow, never left his heart because he knew what his wife and his divine son would suffer. And in the midst of that, his anguish of heart, he had the regular daily sufferings, rising to work, supporting a family, supporting himself, lots of decisions to make. He made decisions for our blessed mother and the son of God. He made the decisions. An honor, yes, but what a burden to make big decisions for them. And yet in the midst of that, he was cheerful, he was calm, he was uncomplaining, he was courageous. He was patient. He bore with things that tended to bring sadness and that would break our spirit. He was patient. And so... I think this is an appropriate appropriate topic to put before you especially as working men, single or married, to bear things courageously, to bear things like Joseph the man. To do so, I have a few tips for you, of course, to bear patiently. Um, there are helps which St. Alphonsus gives. He uh, writes a great deal about the practice of patience. He says, all our good then consists in bearing crosses with patience. All our good consists in that. Again, 
morning to night, bearing crosses with patience. St. Alphonsus gives what he calls a, a few practical counsels, he calls them. Practical counsels in order to obtain patience and to practice it under every trial. And there's just a, a few simple things to share with you. One is he mentions uh, about not acting on feelings, not acting on feelings. And I want to explain this because I think it's very helpful to have an understanding of this. There is a difference between feeling and willing. We are made by God, body and soul. We have passions, meaning feelings or emotions. And we are made in such a way so that when there's an outside stimulus, something happens, it affects us. And then we have an interior response. We have a feeling. So a delightful thing happens, and we have a feeling of joy, uh, love, desire, joy. So something pleasant is put before us, a good meal. You see the meal, you smell it, there's a feeling. I want that, I desire it, I'll take joy in it. The feeling, and then now comes intellect. Okay, should I eat this meal? Yes, the will says go for it. Or it's Lent. I want it, I desire it, it feels like I ought to eat it, but intellect says no. No meat at lunch. You can't. But there's still the feeling of desire and joy for it. But what rules? The intellect enlightens the will to do God's will. But we are made in such a way that there is a response to outside stimulus. Um, there are things that tend to delight us and things that tend to annoy us. And God gave us this uh, being made in such a way so that we would preserve ourselves and we would carry out life's duties. St. Thomas says there are 11 passions. I'm not going to go into all of them. But the point is, is we have these feelings. The animals have these as well. Feelings, emotions, these passions. The difference, though, is we are a combination of both animal and angel. We have a likeness to the animals in the sense that we have feelings and a body. And we are like unto the angels because we have an intellect and will. We have to rule ourselves, though. Though we feel things, we have to make decisions based on faith and reason. Faith must rule our reason, and reason must rule our feelings. And if we do that, then we will do the good and we will flee the evil. Uh, when there is temptation, the response should be, what does God will? What is God's will? Okay, God's will is that I should turn from this. Okay. It may look enticing. It may produce uh, inclination. As your Baltimore Catechism tells you, we have an inclination toward evil. 
So there's an inclination. But the intellect, enlightened, says no. Will, no. Therefore, flight. That is ruling ourselves according to faith and reason. And so with patience, in regard to patience then, what this means is there will be things that happen that annoy us. Saint, uh, Saint Alphonsus says it's important to understand this because we're not evil or bad because something annoys us. It's an outside stimulus. Pain. As you get older, there is pain. It is not delightful. It is annoying, debilitating. It tends to make us sad and break our spirit. That's the way it feels. Here's what's happening. Pain. And this is the formula that basically St. Alphonsus tells us is to identify what's happening. This is the trial. Uh, I'm tired or I'm aching because of illness or uh, I don't want to go to work or my wife nags too much. And all those things are annoying. That's how I feel. But what should I do? What does God want me to do? Then we do it. That's where patience reigns. But St. Alphonsus says the first point is to acknowledge this is a disturbance. This is a feeling. Acknowledge that it's there. It's not, see, if we don't, then we claim this is wrong. Someone has to take it away. It shouldn't be like this. It's somebody else's fault. Get rid of it. Those words are akin to what the bad thief said. Take me down. This is wrong. I should not be upon this cross. Take it away. This is annoying. It hurts. It's not delightful. It's not fun. It's not what I like. I think that sounds familiar to all of us about certain things in our life. This is how the good thief saw the cross. Uh, the bad thief. The good thief said, Leave me upon the cross. This hurts. This is painful. This is not delightful. But leave me with it. Just bring me to heaven. Let me suffer it so I can go to heaven. This is what St. Francis meant when he said, Scourge, scathe, and punish me in this world. Do but spare me in the next. And that's what the good thief was saying. Scourge, scathe, punish me now, spare me in the next. But they identified this is a cross. But how do we view it? It is a cross. It's painful. This is what's happening. This is how I feel. St. Alphonsus says, identify it for what it is. It's a cross. It's not an injustice. It's not unfair. It's not something that should be taken away. It's a cross. What has to be done now? I have to bear it like the good thief bore his cross. So St. Alphonsus says that. Act not on feeling but on what does God want me to do? Tag it for what it is, a cross. And then act not on the feeling. Another tip that St. Alphonsus says in order to practice patience, he says, is to prepare ahead of time. 
prepare for the battle. He says that if we acknowledge the frustration or evil, even before it comes, likely, a likely thing that we perhaps can plan ahead for, we know how it may feel, and we know what we will be inclined to do. He tells us, prepare ahead of time so that we'll act correctly. Uh, For instance, let's say you know you have a meeting you don't want to go to. And you know tomorrow when I get up, I'm going to be cranky because I do not want to do that. So prepare ahead of time, St. Alphonsus is saying. Prepare. No. Tomorrow, when I get up, I will feel cranky. It's, this is if it's you. You prepare knowing what generally makes you cranky. Okay, it's coming. That's what makes me cranky. So tomorrow morning, I may feel like yelling at the kids, not speaking to the wife, and grouching the whole time. That's how I'll feel. But I'm going to be prepared so that instead I give a calm smile and nod. Just smile and nod, smile and nod. That's what you do, man. You smile and nod, right? As they scream and the wife prattles, you just smile and nod. But you're ready. Say you're prepared. You know what it's going to be like, so you're prepared. It's like pregame warm-up. You see, St. Alphonsus is saying it's like pregame warm-up or doing stretches before you have to do the run. Uh, Exercise beforehand. Prepare for the battle. Uh, You're on your way to work. You know you have a meeting with someone who excites in you a feeling of aversion. You want to just get out of the room. Uh, Sadness or anger, you prepare ahead of time. This is going to happen. I have this meeting with this person. I know how I will feel. No, I'm ready. Smile and nod. Pretend you're interested. Oh, good idea. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, already. You got yourself prepared. So then, though you feel this, it doesn't, you don't act upon it. You're prepared. Uh, you're in your office. There's a knock on the door for the tenth time. And you realize, I want to scream or turn off my light, <laughs> pretend I'm not here. I know if I let them in, I am on edge. So be aware. Let me be aware. This is the way I feel, but let me get ready. Okay. Phony smile. Come in. Okay. They come in. You're, you're ready. Win the Oscar. That's what it is. We have to win the Oscar. We don't feel it, but how are we going to act? Because virtue lies in the will. Sin is willed. So if instead we win the Oscar, we go home having had meetings and dealt with things at work, and everyone thought we were in a great mood and we were the most agreeable person. And all the time you felt like roaring. You win an Oscar. It's like you get the Oscar on the way home. And then you get ready for the next battle. You will go home expecting peace and quiet and some applause and appreciation. And instead the kids are screaming and throwing things. The wife hasn't prepared dinner, and she has a whole list of things for you to do tonight And all the kids have to be corrected by you. And you're prepared. This could happen. I'm ready. I'm going to smile and nod. Smile and nod at everybody. I'll go to bed with two Oscars, one for the workplace and one for home. And what do those Oscars represent? 
acts of virtue. They are acts of virtue. Virtue is like a muscle of the soul. It's an action. We need to take action to be patient. And so preparing, preparing ahead of time. Uh, when you've got your weekend planned, maybe all your game times marked for watching your games and all these things you have planned and your wife says she's invited her family over and all you can think of is that relative who always manages to walk in and say something to you and instead you know you're ready you know they're going to come in and say oh you must be so busy because you've got that grass growing so high in your yard and you have to smile and say to your mother-in-law yes I have thank you for pointing that out to me and then you have to go to another room and go, <laughs> right? But instead, if you're ready, if you're ready, okay, this is probably what's going to happen. It'd be nice if it doesn't, but I am ready. I am ready to say, oh, thank you. God bless you. And then drink something. You know? <laughs> the act. It's a tall order, yes, but St. Alphonsus gives this wonderful tip of learning ahead of time, preparing for that battle that will be sure to come. And then he says the other point is motivate yourself. Be motivated to carry your cross, to practice patience. When a cross comes, as I mentioned, our feelings don't always coincide with doing the difficult, with bearing that which is sad or annoying. But what can help us is images or considerations, calling to mind something that can help us to rule those feelings. Again, this is the way we're made. Our understanding can help us to control the feeling. Uh, Our imagination, which means a picture, an image. I thought about this and I realized, you know, in the world with temporal things, we understand this and we do it often. For example, the person wants to lose weight. Sometimes they hang a picture of themselves on the refrigerator. Then every time they go to open it up, they see and realize, uh uh-uh. What makes them not open the refrigerator? An image. An image of what they don't want to be. That's an image. The understanding gets it. And then the will goes into motion. Uh, Before a sports game, right, the, the coach rallies the team. He rallies the team with some motivational phrases uh, in the locker room, you know, all those famous speeches they give uh, to let the team know. Why do they do that? Because by rallying the team, by stirring up, you know, the fans, the fans are waiting out there for you to do great things. And the, the kids have these images of their best friends and their girlfriends and their parents clapping for them. They will all praise you. Don't let them down. And the images go through the heads. The kid, this is you. You can do this. You've done it before. Memory comes. We did it before. And what a delight that was. You won't let me down. Oh, yeah, we won't, coach. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It motivates them to do their very best. That's motivational considerations and motivational images. It's using our understanding and our will to help us to do the good thing. We need to put that 
into our spiritual life, that which we do for our temporal things. Uh, I want to get this done. I'm going to make a list, and this is why I'm going to do it, and here's in the end what it's going to be. You know, if we want to fix the yard or we want to save up to take a vacation, we set our marks, we have pictures of what our goal is, and we then use that to motivate ourselves to make whatever sacrifices to accomplish a goal. We motivate ourselves, pictures or remembrance or an intellectual thought there, consideration. We need to do the same for that which is most important, the salvation of our soul. That which is most important, the practice of virtue. In the end, that is all that matters. Getting a lot of conferences on retreat, it is to motivate you, inform you, give you considerations to take with you. The goal, accomplish the one and only thing that matters. Save our soul. And to save our soul, we have to have the cross. There's no way to salvation outside of the cross. If there was another way, St. Joseph, our Blessed Mother, would have been given a different way. But their way was a way of the cross. We see in their example that we must have a cross, and it is the way to salvation. And so we need to motivate ourselves, like we do for temporal things, we need to motivate ourselves for our spiritual goods, which are far more precious. Images, considerations, Pictures. This is why it's important to have uh, religious images in your house, one of the many reasons. A motivational spot to remind you. A picture of St. Joseph on your desk or on your mirror to remind you, here's who I want to be like. Not a sports star, not a politician, not any other career. Here's what I want to be like, St. Joseph. A picture. For some people, pictures work really well. For other people, maybe it's uh, words that can motivate us. Um, Like I mentioned, scourge, scathe, punish me in this world. Do but spare me in the neck. But if you're like me, I need shortcuts. I just say scourge and scathe, scourge and scathe, scourge and scathe. That helps me. People are different, but I urge you to see what motivates me. For instance, to steer clear of occasions of sin. What can strengthen me when there's an occasion of sin and my passions, my feelings go toward it? A consideration, a motivational phrase, a picture that tells me, motivates me to say, no, turn from that occasion of sin. What can move me to do that? Um, Perhaps the image of our Lord in the agony in the garden. A quick picture of him in my mind and how sin pains him. Flee the occasion. What did sin do to Christ? The image or the consideration? Uh, The crucifix. The crucifix there in the room to look at. To look at at times. Um, One saint, St. Madeline Sophie Barat, she said that whenever... She would be tempted to complain. She looked at a crucifix. And in that instant, she recalled to herself, how can I 
dare to complain. When she looked at the crucifix, that's what it told her. How can I dare to complain? Form a habit using try out different things to see what motivates you. Does an image help me to be patient when I get home from work? Uh, Does a little picture on my desk at work? Um, Does a little crucifix by my bedside assist me? With all the gadgets we have today, here's a screensaver, right? St. Joseph. Instead of on your phone having your sports hero, you picture it, there's St. Joseph. He's the man. Who's the man? St. Joseph's the man. He's there on your phone. He's there on your computer. An image of our Blessed Mother or St. Joseph or a saint who you are friends with. Those images. Um, I test everything on the nuns, you know, so I figured out with a lot of the sisters, different things move different people. For some, it's a quote. Uh, Some sisters, they have quotes all over their desk. Now, you may not want to go quite so extravagant at work, but some of them have quotes all over, and I've asked, why so many? I couldn't take that. And they said, well, uh, this one only works for a while, and then I have to go to this one, and then this one, and then this one. So the whole thing is just covered with quotes, you know. Uh, But whatever works for you, but try it. Be eager to motivate yourself. We need motivation to be good. Uh, we use this in everything else, right? You, you want to be someone who runs a lot or exercises a lot? You motivate yourself. People jog along with the, themselves hooked up to music that's going to help you to get the beat while you run and motivate you. Or those motivational courses, you know, you can be the best man around if you only focus your attention on what... All those motivational courses, those seminars that we can get, you know, uh, you want to influence people and gain friends, and there we play hours and hours of conferences to find out how to influence people and gain friends. Motivate yourself to influence yourself to stay away from sin and to gain the friendship of Christ. That's the seminar you want to give yourself frequently. I want to influence myself to flee sin. I want to gain friendship of Christ. Motivate ourselves using images, uh, using considerations, whatever might help you. Figure out what moves you and go to your own motivational workshop, your spiritual motivational workshop, and change it up. Like that sister said, she had to use different ones. When something's not working, don't say, oh, well, that was a nice idea for mother with her nuns, but it doesn't work for me. Okay? Yeah, I read your thoughts. Uh, try something else. Try a different quote. Try a different picture. Care. Care to do these things, which are the most important things of your life, your spiritual life. Your soul is immortal. Take care of it. Be motivated to take great care of it. Use things to help you. Uh, Repetition of phrases or images. Um, I remember at one point, it helped me a lot. When I was a postulant, I first entered, uh, when I first entered the convent, which is postulancy, I was very homesick. Even though I was, I don't know, 24 or 5, I was like a little baby. I don't know what the problem was. I graduated from college, traveled. I get to the convent. It's like suddenly I'm so homesick. 
And I thought, I just, this is so hard. And it was interesting because it was always late at night when it's time to go to bed. And we'd be singing the Divine Office. It was around 9 o'clock. Partly I think I got homesick because I hadn't been to bed at 9.45 since I was in the fifth grade. So <laughs> now we're going to bed at 9.45, and, of course, I'm having my homesickness. And I just prayed, please, Lord, I don't think I can take this much longer. And then one night I was singing the Divine Office, and, again, this, you know, the feeling. It's just a feeling. But it was tending to break me. And so I was singing along and having a hard time, and I looked up, and, at round top, we have the round windows near the choir stalls. And I looked up. At the very bottom of one of the windows uh, is uh, an angel. There's actually one of those uh, little cherub heads with wings on it. But what happened was I just looked up and I saw this, and it looked just like one of my nephews. A big round head. That's all you could see. He had a big head. I won't tell you who it is. He's grown now. But it was a big, round head. And I looked up, and I thought of my nephew instantly. And I realized it didn't make me homesick. It made me realize this is a cross. This is a pain. This is tending to break my spirit. I'm going to tag it. I'm going to offer up my homesickness at night for my nieces and nephews. Feeling was still there, but I was able to bear it. Because I recognized this is a cross. See, I tagged it. This is a pain. It's okay. Relax. You could be pained. (laughs) You could be sad. You could have sorrow. But what are you going to do with it? And so Compline and Late Night Homesick became my lifelong offering for my nieces and nephews. And then it's a great thing because then God rewards us and helps us then to carry it because we know what to do with it then. Um, A picture, an image, a picture and an image went through my mind, imagination, a memory, a consideration, and then I will to do this. I will to bear the homesickness and do this life. If I acted on feeling, I would have packed my bags late that night and hitched a ride back to California. But by the grace of God, there was an image that gave me a consideration that told my will, do this and offer it up for your relatives who you miss. Much more valuable than feeling and running home. Images can do that for us. An image of a saint, a quote, a consideration. Just a few words. And it's even better if it's short because then you can have it memorized. I do very short ones. Uh, Another time, uh, there were troubles at home. And once again, as a novice, I wanted to pack up. I I guess I wanted to go home a lot. I don't anymore. (laughs) When I first entered, it was far away from home and difficult. And all these troubles started happening at home. And then it would hit me in the morning. Every morning it would be, oh, what's going on? Are these troubles? And for that, I used a motivational, uh, motivational phrase. Having seven brothers, you know, I, I knew what sports things were. So I would get up in the morning, and I would just, the thought of troubles at home would come, and I'd say, who solves the problems? You do. You do. Who solves the problems? <laughs> it was a coach's chant, you know, telling myself, who solves the problems? And I'd say to God, you do. You do. And I'd just repeat that till I got to chapel. 
just reminding myself and reminding him, please solve the problems. That I had to remind myself, and those few little words helped me to press on amidst sadness, amidst feeling like it was going to break. Who solves those problems? He does. That's it. Repeat it. One word at times can help us if we make it, if we make it a consideration, a deep consideration. Uh, one of the things that St. Francis of Assisi used to use was he would say the words perfect joy. Right? And he would say that when there was a cross. This is perfect joy. Uh, there's a particular story he tells, which, or is told about him, which I share with you. Um, and I do because this one I have used for years. Just the word joy. I'm a simple soul. I can't take too many words. But that word does so much when there's a problem. Uh, To just repeat the word joy, knowing what you mean by that. And uh, I read this story of St. Francis Sisi many years ago, and it just left a great impression. And he, he was going one day with one of his brothers, Brother Leo, uh, to a monastery. And as they walked along, it was very cold. And they were walking a great distance. And St. Francis said, Brother Leo, if our fellow Friars Minor, the Franciscans, if they went to many lands, if they gave the example of great holiness, edified many, do you know this would not be perfect joy? Brother Leo, who's a very straightforward man, said, uh, I don't understand. Well, said Francis, if our fellow friars were to make the lame walk, if they could make the straight, those that were crooked, if they could chase away demons, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the dumb. If they could do all those works and even raise the dead, this would not be perfect joy. Then he cried out again, St. Francis, Brother Leo, if the friars were versed in all the sciences, if they could explain scripture, gift of prophecy, explain the stars, if they knew the various qualities of all the birds and the fish and the animals, if they were all brilliant, it would not be perfect joy. If they had the gift of preaching, they converted the infidels, it wouldn't be perfect joy. Then they walked on for a few miles with Brother Leo wondering. And finally he said, Father, tell me what is perfect joy? St. Francis said, here is what it is. If when we arrive at the monastery, drenched with rain, trembling in the cold, covered with mud, exhausted from hunger. We knock at the gate and the porter comes out angry. If he tells us, you are imposters, I don't even know you. If he refuses to let us in, he leaves us outside in the snow and the rain, suffering. If we accept that with patience, if we accept it without murmuring, believing with humility and charity that the porter really does know us, but that it is God who makes him speak to us that way. 
Write this down, Brother Leo. This is perfect joy. And if we knock again, he said, and the porter comes out angry, yells at us. If he takes a stick, he seizes us by our hoods and throws us on the ground, rolls us in the snow. If he beats us and wounds us with the sticks. If we bear all those injuries with patience, thinking of the sufferings of our Lord, which we want to share out of love for him, write this down, Brother Leo. Here, finally, is perfect joy. And now, brother, listen to the conclusion. Above all the graces and all the gifts of the Holy Ghost, which Christ grants to his friends, is the grace of overcoming oneself and accepting willingly and patiently out of love for Christ all suffering, all injury, all discomfort and contempt. That is perfect joy. Now that story left an impression on me because it's really hard to imagine that being perfect joy. But I did remember it, and the way I remembered it was with one word, joy. When crosses come, we feel them. They make us sad. feels like they're going to break us. To remind ourselves, this is what true joy is, the cross. This is what true joy is. We don't feel it, but we know it. We know the only way to heaven is with the cross. And therefore, the cross is perfect joy. And that word joy can remind us, can remind us on the way to that difficult appointment. Uh, Sitting down at dinner and the burnt meal comes out to remind ourselves, joy, joy. I love burnt food, joy, joy. For the love of God, I love my wife's cooking for 30 years. Joy, this is joy. Uh, Dealing with the children, joy, joy. This is perfect joy. It's not the feeling of joy, maybe, but this is perfect joy because it's the cross. Being pained over the, the loss of a child, the loss of his soul, worrying about a child who's drifted away. Or being pained over the thought of, am I going to be able to support myself? Uh, being pained with age or loneliness. This is perfect joy. It doesn't necessarily mean the feeling of joy, but this is joy. Helps too if you say it that way. Joy, 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 joy. I have to say it that way to myself. Certain days are joy days. To say joy. It's a motivation to do what? To remind ourselves only through the cross will we save our souls. And therefore I must bear it because that is perfect joy. How can we carry our crosses patiently? Motivate yourself. Prepare for those battles and tag them for what they are. Annoyances. Pains. And motivate yourself to carry them then patiently by looking to images or pondering considerations. 
There's a 15th century relief of the Holy Family's flight into Egypt. Um, It's at Notre Dame in Paris, though I don't know since the fire what has happened to it. But we do have pictures of that image, and it's a picture of St. Joseph leading the donkey as he glances back at Christ and our Blessed Mother seated on the donkey. We know that uh, St. Joseph fleeing into Egypt was a very great sorrow. It's one of his great sorrows. He feared literally for the life of his divine son. He feared for the life of the mother of God. He was the protector of the son of God on earth. Talk about a responsibility. And now he's told their lives are in danger. Leave immediately. Go now. Take only the small items. He only had a few things with him. And take this long, arduous, uh, frightening journey to Egypt. No other instructions. All decisions on his shoulders. What a sorrow. What a cross. What fear and sadness and aversion he must have felt. In this painting, it shows St. Joseph as he's leading the Christ child and our Blessed Mother. It shows him looking back at them. And his face is filled with love. And yet, surely, there was such watchfulness and fear about him. We can only imagine what strength of character he had, and yet what great peril he was suffering. He was the caretaker of the Holy Family, feared for their safety. What helped him to carry his cross? Grace of God, yes, but this picture showed also something that we can do, which is he looked upon Jesus and Mary. He gazed upon them. This was his motivation. This was his motivation. He looked at them, and he was encouraged to go on. He looked at them. He was courageous. They made him courageous. They made him want to do the will of God. They were his motivation. We need that same thing. We need to be motivated to lift up the cross, to be courageous. We need to have resolve to deal with the difficulties of our life. The decisions you have to make, the responsibilities you have to carry, to do them courageously, uncomplaining and cheerfully. How? Look to Jesus and Mary. Use images, considerations. St. Joseph turned back, and we can be sure he turned back and looked at them frequently. As, as he trudged on in the cold of the night, in the heat of the day, on this long journey to a foreign land, we, being watchful and fearful, he must have looked back upon that image of Mary with child. And looking at them, it gave him strength. 
It gave him example. We need strength and example. Uh, For you men in particular, in this world that uh, does not revere the role of a man in society, you as the leaders need strength and courage. You need to motivate yourself because the world does not motivate you to bear your responsibilities as a courageous man. You have a certain role. You have a certain responsibility. You need the motivation to take your place in the lives of those you love and in the world. Who can give you the example? Who can give you the strength to do your job as a husband, as a father, as a single man or a widower? Who can give you the strength to bear your crosses like St. Joseph, to deal with decisions, responsibilities, sorrows, loss, fear, St. Joseph gives you an example, and he tells us, look to images, recall in your mind, consider those things that can motivate you to live your life properly, to take your place on this journey, on your exile, to take your place alongside St. Joseph. Be motivated. Our Blessed Mother and Saint and the Christ Child were St. Joseph's motivation, and they were also his consolation. As you make your journey in life with crosses abounding, you too can have the same joyful consolation. Persevere in embracing crosses. Strive to lift and carry each one. Be consoled to know that carrying the cross conquers evil. Bearing the cross, practicing patience, destroys the enemy of our soul. It destroys vice and it creates virtue. The cross is our salvation. Do not flee it, but rather carry it uncomplainingly. Carry your burdens, your responsibilities, your cross, patiently. Use tools recommended by St. Alphonsus that are so readily available. Remind yourself it's not about the feeling. It doesn't matter how I feel. Prepare ahead of time when possible for the battle at hand. Motivate yourself. Be your spiritual coach. Urge yourself on with images and considerations. And then look to St. Joseph frequently. Pray to him who is the mirror of patience. 